Welcome to Bridge this morning. So glad that you're here. I'm Pastor Rob. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Bridge. And um, I am excited to share with you, um, continue our series in the seven letters to the seven churches overcomer. And um, this series has been so impactful in my life. How many, how many of you would say, you know, this is, this is impacted my life. Like this series has impacted my life. Like as, as I've, as I've heard Pastor Paul uh, teach and, and speak on this, as, as I've prepped for this week, it's like, I feel the Holy Spirit just pointing in my life, little things that I, I need to, things that I need to change, that I need to make right. And, um, if you're new with us this morning or this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that, that you are here. Um, and and, it's, and if, if you haven't heard any of the other, we're in week four. If you haven't heard any of the other messages, the good thing is, is that the seven letters are all individual. They're all written to individual churches, so you don't need to get caught up or anything like that um, because each letter is, 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 is in itself. And so the purpose of the seven letters to the seven churches um, was as a health check. It was a health check to the churches to say, hey, how are you doing? You know, what, what are some things that are doing great? What are some things that maybe need, you need to be warned about? Some danger that, that if not addressed, might, might destroy the church? And um, each message is, is, written, is written by John. Um, John is the, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that we see in, in the New Testament. Um, John is writing this while he is exiled or in a form of imprisonment on the island of Patmos. Um, he, uh, he was put there by the, the Romans to kind of silence his spread of the gospel message of Jesus, to, to reduce his influence. Yet he's writing these letters to these seven churches and, uh, that are so impactful, not only just for them in that day, but for us today. And so uh, we've already looked at the church in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and this morning we're going to look at um, one that I've been practicing saying the name all week, and um, if I get it right, then great. If I got it wrong, then I said it, I'm going to set it all wrong all first service, and I'll say it wrong all second service. And yeah, so you can say it with me. I'm going to say it, and then you can try to repeat it. It's Thyatira. Thyatira. And um, I joked with Pastor Paul this week. I said, I'm going to say it one time, and I'm going to call it T-Town the rest of the sermon. And um, so if I refer to it as T-Town because I can't get it out, then that's okay. Just forgive me. So Thyatira. So if you would open your Bibles to Revelations 2 and verse 18, uh, we're going to look at the letter that was written to Thyatira. Um, I want to give you a little bit of background about Thyatira, though, before we dive in to help you understand uh, what is going on here. Thyatira was a, uh, was a town. Um, it was in a valley between uh, Pergamum, so we talked about last week, and Sardis, we're going to talk about next week. What's so cool about these letters is they were written in a, in a, in a, in a form to where they kind of followed a road that kind of went all the way around Asia Minor. And Asia Minor was, is now what we would call present-day Turkey. And um, it was actually pretty cool. In my studies this week, there's actually some uh, remnants of this town that is still able to be seen today, which some of the other towns, you, you don't get that privilege of being able to see some of those. But um, this town actually today is a thriving town in Turkey. It's actually a pretty large city in Turkey. Um, but it's the smallest, and uh, it's the smallest of all, the, of all these cities. And uh, it was known for manufacturing and industry and, and trade. So in this town, there were uh, different types of industries, bronze, uh, coppersmiths, leather workers, tanners, uh, wool and linen workers. Um, dye was very popular, like, uh, like paint, like dye, the dye fabrics, was very popular in this town. In this region, there was something else I found interesting. Sorry, I like, I like the little nuances of these sorts of things. But in this town, um, there was a root that grew, and the root would make like a purple dye. And um, so that was very, that's what this town was, was known as, was known for, was this purple, this purple dye. Um, this is the same purple dye, if you were to think of, if you remember reading maybe in the book of Acts, the, the Lydia, uh, the first person that Paul led to, to Christ, she was from Thyatira, and she was a seller of purple dye. And so uh, if, you, uh, if you connect that, that's how it kind of connects here. And, um, and, and so they also had some potters and, and even bakers. And um, I think, I, 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 I think something I found interesting was that this is the longest letter, yet the smallest city. 
in the smallest city. So before we dive into this passage, let's pray, and, um, and then we'll dive into to God's word this morning. Bow your heads with me. God, let your words speak to our hearts this morning. Father, I pray that what you've placed on my heart to share this morning, God, would be clearly communicated. God, that your Holy Spirit would, would take, 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 our, take your word, and God, that you would help us apply it to our lives. God, I pray that um, this morning that you would be glorified, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So the message this morning, if I were to enti- title this message, it would be called, It's Time. It's Time. When we read God's word, um, we... God's word should drive us to take an action. You've heard me probably say that before whenever I spoke because it's something that, that is, is rooted in, in deep inside of me, something that I was, I was taught um, growing up, and it's something that I, I, that I firmly believe in, is that when we read God's word, God's word should call, cause an action. It's not just for us to sit back. And so this morning as we read this, we're going to talk about it's time, and it's time for an action. It's time for an action in the church. And so we're going to talk about a few different actions that we can, as a church, apply to our lives. So that, that we see in Thyatira, maybe some mistakes that they made or some good things that they, they did. So let's, let's look this morning in Acts 2 and verse 18. It says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a blazing fire and whose feet are burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. I love what, what, is, what Jesus says. So Jesus is downloading this, to, giving this, has given this to John, and John's writing this down. And I love what Jesus says right up front. He goes, he, he, he uses the phrase, these are the words of the Son of God. This is the only time in the whole book of Revelation that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God. I found that very interesting. It's the only time in the whole book of Revelation that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God. And, and I think that, that he did that to dr- speak directly to something that was going on in Thyatira at the time. Um, Thyatira was known to be worshiping the Greek god Apollo. Um, Apollo, um, I know for many of you are probably like me, when it came to Greek mythology in like high school, you kind of were like, why is that going to ever apply to my life? So kind of threw it in the back burner, right? I did that. Kind of threw it in the back burner, and now that I'm studying the book of Revelation, I'm like, man, I wish that I would have remembered and maybe applied some of that to my life, or at least memorized some of it, or knew some of it. But the Greek god Apollo was one of the Greek gods. He was actually the son of Zeus. And Zeus was like, if you guys know who Zeus is, Zeus was like the big god. Like, he would be like the big Greek mythology god. And Apollo would be, in Greek mythology, his, his son. And I love that Jesus right here says to the church in Thyatira, it says, I am the son of God. Apollo is not the son of God. I am the son of God. These are the words of the son of God. And, and so I, I love that he just right up front says, this is who I am. This is, this is the authority that I have to speak these things to you. I am the son of God. Not Apollo, not any other God. It goes on to say, whose eyes are like a blazing fire and whose feet like burnished bronze. The imagery, and remember that Revelation is not, a, is not literal, it's, it's imagery to, to describe something. And, um, and so the imagery here is to declare that Jesus Christ is the only true Son of God. That his eyes, and his eyes of flaming fire describes the one who searches the minds and the hearts of men. Whose feet were burnished in bronze, emphasizes the glory and strength of Christ, and depicts his rule. Absent of any impurity or, 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 or deficits. And that he alone stands pure. That he is the son of God. I think it's also pretty cool that Thyatira was known for their bronze work. And Jesus speaks right to like something that they would identify with. Feet like bronze. And so I thought that was pretty cool how he, how he speaks directly to each one of these churches in a way that they will understand. And feet like bronze. Imagine if Jesus was saying, you think you can make bronze? Check out my bronze, right? Like my feet. So I didn't say LeBronze, I said bronze. So after reminding them that he alone was the son of God and not Apollo, the Lord goes on to offer his, offer his affirmation and approval of the church. And he goes on to say in, in verse 9, he says, I know your deeds, your love, 
and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. See, unlike the churches, the church in Ephesus that we studied that had lost their first love, Thyatira was strong in love. And he, he says that, that, that your, your love is good. Your faith is passionate faith. Your love for each other is overflowing. Your service and perseverance is effective. You're, you're being effective in what you're doing. He says, he, he even goes on to say that there's this distinction between where you were and where you are now. You're now doing more than you did at first. So there's some growth that's taking place in this church. When I look at this church, I think it's a church that I would want to be a part of, right? If Jesus is describing a church as a church that, you know, you're, 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 I know your deeds, your love, and your faith, your strength, your, your, your perseverance, like, like your service, like they're good and you're growing in them, like you're continuing to grow. Yet in the midst of what Jesus is saying, that he's a thriving church, in the midst of all these good things, Jesus continues to say in verse in verse 20, he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. Whew. Those are harsh words coming from Jesus. Like, think about that. I have this against you. Nevertheless, I have this against you. And he goes on to say, you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants in the sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now, I want to stop right there, and we're going to digest this portion of Scripture for a little bit together. So the, first, I want to be clear. This woman named Jezebel probably wasn't really named Jezebel. Um, what, what, what is happening here is Jesus is using a person that this church would know about, um, Jezebel from the Old Testament. And uh, so in the Old Testament in 1 Kings, and, uh, you have Jezebel, who is the wife of King Ahab. And uh, sh- her whole goal, like in every story, through, through the Old Testament where Jezebel is, is mentioned or is a character in, her whole goal was to corrupt Israel. Basically to just corrupt God's people. To lead them astray, to get them to try to bow down to, 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 to the, the idol Baal and other idols. And um, if you remember the story in Elijah, where Elijah's on Mount Carmel, and, uh, and it's, it's basically like this game of like whose God is greater is going on, and like you have the servants of Baal and Elijah, and, and Jezebel, and then you, have, then you have Elijah, the servant of God, who's standing there, and God sends down fire and burns up the whole offering and the water and everything. Yet, yeah, this is the same Jezebel. This is the Jezebel that he's referring to. Now, in Revelation, we're not sure exactly who this person is, but we know that she's a person of influence, that she's a person in the church that whenever he used this term to describe her, that everybody would know who it was. And, and so that is, that, is, that, is, that is who this Jezebel is. And so as we look at this scripture, I want to talk, this morning I want to talk about steps that we could take away from, from what Thyatira was going through. So the first thing I want to, for my first point is, it's time to refuse. What is the action we can do? We can, we can refuse. And let's back up and let's look at this city. And remember that Thyatira was a hub for industry. And you say that, when it says there that you tolerate this woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, by her teaching she misleads my servants in the sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Thyatira, being a, a hub for industry, had, what, had many guilds in their town. Guilds, G-U-I-L-D-S, guilds. A guild is, if you're in theatrical, in theater today, or you're in production, there's still guilds around today, um, but most common term maybe would be like a union, right? Like a workers' union, like United Autos Workers' Union, that sort of idea. That would probably be like today's relevance to a guild of this time. And there were these guilds and like these little unions, and they were for each industry. So like the blacksmiths, they would have their little union or guild going on, and the people who worked with the bronze, they would have their little union and guild, or the people who worked with fabrics, and they would have their own little guild. And, and the guild would actually be the people who would negotiate the trades and, and line up contracts for the blacksmiths to get work. They would be the ones who maybe would take the orders and kind of disseminate the work to all the blacksmiths in the town, or disseminate the work to all the bronze makers in the town. So this was going on. And so in our day, but unlike our unions today, 
These guilds didn't just have a business and social side. So if you're part of a union, you know that it's a business side. They fight for your rights, those sorts of ideas. They help you know, strengthen the business. In today's, in today's world, maybe they're positive or negative, but they're there. And they, have a social, they had a social side to them. In Thyatira's day and time, though, it wasn't just business and social. It was business, social, and spiritual. And so there's a spiritual thing that was going on inside the guilds. And the guilds would have, their unions would have like these meetings and parties. And um, at these meetings and parties, there was all types of stuff that was taking place. They were, they were worshiping other gods. They were worshiping gods that had to do with their specific industry. So if you were a farmer, they were worshiping the god of like the plants and, and trees. If you were uh, a metal worker, they were worshiping the gods of, of like minerals and, and, and earth. And, and you can kind of see where I'm going there. If you're, if you're a tradesman, you're worshiping the god of, like, of, of, that, and, of, of that line of work. And, and this, was, this was taking place. And they would sacrifice to these idols and eat the food, much like what we saw in Pergamum last week. And this is something that God forbid. He forbid, he for, he forbid it because doing, worshiping those gods and eating the food was like saying that that God was just as important as the Christian God, the God of the church, the, the, the God, that, the, the God of, the, of the, the true gospel, Jesus. And you're saying that it was just as equal, just as important, or more important. And what is happening is this woman named Jezebel is speaking a, a false message. That it's okay to participate in this as believers. That it's okay for you to participate in this guild and what the guild does as a believer. And, and she, she, was, she was communicating this idea that you can worship all gods, including Jesus. Like, it's okay to worship all of them. And this woman, Je- Jezebel, taught these things. She would say something like, come on, you have to eat, right? So... Come to the guild party. You, got you have to eat. You, you have to be able to put food on your table. And she would say things like, it's not personal, it's business, right? You know, business is business and it's separate from your personal life. Or your personal life is separate from your business life. Your physical life is separate from your spiritual life. And they don't really have an effect on one another. And, and we know today that, like, we look at this and we, maybe we think about it in our own minds that, yeah, like my spiritual life affects my physical life, and my physical life, what I do in the physical, affects my spiritual life. Like they have a direct, direct, uh, they, work, they work together. And she was saying that that's not the case. So imagine you're a tradesman in Thyatira, right? And you're a member of the trades guild in the local trades union, if you were to think about it that way. And you become a Christian. And now the Spirit begins to convict you of the idolatry and, and the behavior that is taking place inside the guild. And so you drop, and you drop out of the guild, and you slowly start to lose business. Your finances begin to get tight, and you don't get the jobs or the contracts or the orders that you used to get. So what are you as a Christian to do? What are you supposed to do? Well, the Jezebel would say it's no problem. You can be a member of the guild, and you can participate in worship and in, in this, the th- rituals that take place in the guild. And then you can go to church, and you can worship God. Because God knows that you have to make a living. And that was kind of the reasoning that she was, she was spreading. If you're a Christian, your Christian principles have to go. Because God will understand. And, and I think about our culture today, and, and it's not far from that. It's not far from that, that this happens today. If you're in business and someone says, go ahead, make that spreadsheet say whatever it needs to say to make our business look good. Like, you can put in the, you can put in the numbers so it spits out something that makes us look okay. Or if you're in sales, it won't hurt to take that client to that place. Your spouse will never know. Nobody will ever need to know. But you need to make the sale. So go ahead. You can do that. Or you can twist the truth just a little bit to get the deal done. You can, you can twist it. You need the money. You need the commission on this sale. So you can twist the truth just a little bit to get what, to get what you need. If you're a student or a young adult, it's okay to do these things because it feels good. It's okay to get drunk and have sex outside of marriage. No one will know. And you'll be accepted by your friends. You won't get the promotion if you don't do whatever the blank, fill in the blank there. All while the spirit inside of you as a believer is saying, you know this is wrong. 
you know this is wrong. In church, I believe that it's time that we refuse. It's time that we refuse to give in. It's time that we refuse the lies that our culture promotes. It's time for us to refuse. In this portion of scripture, I see two things that are being addressed in this one section. First is the issue of, of the false teachings and people giving into the false teachings. The second part that I see here is the, the idea of the church being tolerant or people in the church being tolerant. It says that you tolerate it says that you tolerate this woman Jezebel. They didn't respond to the actions of the other believers who are being entrapped. They were being pulled away to the false teaching. I believe that it's time as, as a church, as a believer, for each one of us, that we need to respond. If we read back, it says, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, and she's leading my people astray. This woman was permitted without hindrance. Her teachings were going unchecked and unchallenged. And I want to be clear, though, that this letter this morning that we're reading from, like the, all these letters were written to the church. They're written to believers. They're written to people who are maybe mature Christians. Like they know right from wrong. They know what the scriptures say. And, and, and they know the lifestyle of believers, that the believers are, the believers are called to, and the expectations of of believers. And sometimes I think as Christians, like we get surprised when people who are in sin or outside of the relationship with Christ, when sinners sin, like we get surprised when sinners sin. Like I, I, like I, people come to me all the time. I can't believe that she did that or he did that. And I'm like, but he's not a believer. Like, why does that surprise you that a sinner is sinning? It's like, why does the fisherman fish? It's because that's what he does. Like, that's, that's, where, they, that's, that's where, where, where we live. And sometimes we try to enforce a lifestyle change before they experience a heart change. And, and I believe that's what's kind of going on here in, 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 here in Thyatira. What we see is, is that tolerance has snuck into this church. And I think oftentimes when we use the word tolerance, we think about like the church versus outside the church, right? Like, that's what we think about. We think about like race or gender or or we think about political stances, like we think about, that's when we think about the word tolerance, that's what we think about naturally. But what about tolerance inside the church for a moment? What do we, what, what, what does that fall into? See, there were people in this church in Thyatira that were being led astray. And let's call it for what it is. They were Christians who were, who were sinning. They were, they were living in sin. They were giving in to sin. And the church tolerated it. They didn't respond to it. And I believe part of being a believer is being committed to a community. And part of being a community is responding to sin. And I'm not saying, guys, that, like, you have to go excommunicate everybody who sins in the church. Like, you know, it's like, oh, you have to go because we don't allow sinners in here. That's not, what, that's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying that, you know, on Sunday mornings we should call out every person who sins and say, come on, let's make a line up here. And um, you're going to pay your dues for sinning. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. What I'm talking about is that when, when I say we have to respond, we have to respond to our personal sin, my sin, the sin that's in my life, I have to deal with self, and then respond to the sin that we see in our fellow believers. And you might say, wow, Pastor Rob, like, that's, that's pretty harsh. Like, that's what I expect the pastor to do. The pastor is supposed to be the guy who calls out sin in people's lives. Like, that's not a requirement that I feel like should be for me. Well, let's look, let's look, in, let's look, in, let's look in Scripture. In Proverbs, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. In the New Testament church, they understood this. In Acts 2, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That word fellowship in, in Acts 2 was all about accountability. It wasn't going to... to uh, What's your favorite restaurant? It was not going to Wendy's after church on Sunday morning. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about going and just eating together. It was like, it was about holding each other accountable. It was about, it was about, hey, like, there's some sin that it might be slipping into your life, and I want you to be careful of that. We need to respond to it. We've thrown accountability out of the window. And can I be honest? When I see another person in, in my community, in this community, that is stumbling or struggling or giving into sin, it hurts. And I have a choice, not just because I'm a pastor, not just because, I, you know, I, I don't know, I'm, a, I'm in leadership of the church. 
But because I'm another believer, I have a choice to either respond or not respond. It doesn't have to be in a judging way. This is why you hear me say all the time, who are you doing life with? You hear me say that probably every time I get up here to do announcements or I'm talking about community groups or when I speak, you hear me refer back to who are you doing life with? Who are you, who are you doing life with? Because I believe that the people I am doing life with, those are the people I expect to respond whenever I begin to stumble. Those are the people that whenever there might be sin coming into my life, those are the people I would, not that I hold them responsible for it, but I expect to respond. Those are the people that I get to respond to. The people who I'm doing life with, those are the people that I can say, hey, like you might want to be careful about this. I'm going to tell you a story two years ago. This is kind of maybe a little bit vulnerable or open, but whatever. Like about two years ago, we were at Bridge and we were doing Mission Lansdale and there was a situation that had taken place and something had happened in our community um, that might have been a little, might have been considered like destructive and uh, it was, it, and I was approached by one of our community leaders and was told, hey, like this took place and, you know, um, I don't know, she, they, uh, the story was, he was talking to me and I kind of, um, so in my head, I knew exactly that it had to be one of our groups that did this. Like, I'm just going to be real. It had to be somebody from Bridge, one of the groups of people from Bridge that did this. And, um, but I kind of skirted around the truth, right? Like, I didn't own it, and I was kind of like, hey, like, yeah, wow, that's, that's really bad that somebody would do that. <laughs> like, it was really bad that somebody would, you know, write graffiti on something. And it was positive words, so I was like... <laughs> Who cares? But it was really bad that that would take place. And uh, he was approaching me about it, and we were talking about it. And he's like, you know, this isn't a good example to other people in the community, and that sort of idea. And I think deep down, like, he knew that we did it. And, like, I knew that we did it, but I wasn't willing to be like, yeah, we did it kind of idea. So I kind of, like, skirted around the truth and didn't paint a completely clear picture to him, to, to be honest. And mainly because I didn't want the church to get in trouble. I didn't want to get in trouble, you know, that sort of idea. Well, later on, I think it was later that day, um, somebody who was with me, who had been doing life with, and they were helping me with some of the Mission Lansdale stuff, he, he calls me up and he says, he says, Pastor Rob, he goes, can we talk? And I was like, yeah, what's going on? And he's like, you know, earlier today when you had that conversation with that guy from, from, from the town, like, um, I don't think you were being completely honest with him. And I think you kind of skirted around the truth a little bit. And I don't want it to become a stumbling block or turn into something that would cause you to, to, to maybe lie later on down the road because you're trying to cover up something, that, a conversation that had taken place. And I'll be honest with you, like, I was taken back. I was like, what? Like, I, I didn't lie. Like, I'm trying to, like, justify now, right? And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. And he goes, yeah, what he just said right? Like I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and go, you know, the whole time you were in that awkward conversation, like I was trying to tell you something and you weren't listening. He responded. That's what response looks like. He responded to something to protect, to protect me from falling in to an entrapment. And I think respond is two ways. And it's not just, the, not just the person who was on the other end of the phone who was calling me, but it's how I respond. He very easily could have been like, yeah, well, that's between, that's between Pastor Rob and Jesus. Like, he's on his own. Let him figure that out. It's me and God, and we're doing okay, and this relationship's fine. So he's doing okay. Let him figure it out. On the other hand, I could have responded completely di- differently. I could have been like, who do you think you are, right? Who do you think you are to, to call me out? But because we were doing life together, because it was done out of love, and not out of, hey, I gotta point this fault out in your fault, I gotta point this fault out and be judgmental. It was received. What would it look like if the people in the church in Thyatira responded to their fellow believers and said, Hey, I saw you at that guild party. I just want to give you a heads up. Like the teaching of that lady, like she is, is not exactly lines up with the word of God. It doesn't line up with like what we believe as Christians. Or what they do there, be careful, because you can find yourself like slipping away really quickly from the, from the truth, of, truth of God's word. How would our church look this morning? Not just bridge, but what about the church in general, the bigger church? 
if accountability was practiced often and widely? What if we responded out of love for one another? Instead of taking, looking at accountability as being controlled or judged, what if we looked at it as being loved? Church, I believe that it's not only time for us to refuse, it's not only time to respond, but it's time for us to repent. And when we look down, we read into the next portion of Scripture, it says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, and she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds and will repay each of you according to your deeds. There's some intense imagery that's taking place here, and the punishment seems pretty, pretty, pretty strong. But I guess what, what I had to say about that is there's a consequence to every decision that we make. To every choice that we make, there's, there's an outcome from that. And, and when he says that they were, they were dead, her children dead, he's, gonna, he's saying that they will be spiritually dead. That the people who follow her will be spiritually dead. And what I want to look at here is basically this idea of repentance. He, in verse 21 he says, I gave her time to repent. In verse 22, unless they repent of her ways. The, the theme to repent, to turn and walk away. I gave her time to turn and walk away. I gave them time to repent, to walk away from, walk in an opposite direction. I think about my own life. And it's times in my life where, where maybe sin has, 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 slipped, has slipped in, slipped into my life. I wonder if in the American church, or in the American church, if the Jezebel may not be somebody who is, you know, in, in bridge, for example. I don't think there's a Jezebel who's in bridge, like, preaching false doctrine and, and teaching and things like that. But what if the church, what if the American church, what if our Jezebel is something else? What if our Jezebel is inside of us? What if our Jezebel is self? What if our Jezebel is me, my human nature, my flesh? As I think about my own life and the times where, where, where self has, has risen up, we look at the time period in Thyatira like this is the same decision they had to make. Am I going to promote myself or, or am I, I going to serve God? They had to make a decision, promote themselves or give in to idolatry, to stay strong in their faith or give in to what looked better, whether it be finances, social statuses, the decision to confront the false teachings or live a life where it's just me and God and live a life for myself. We have a similarity every day to live a life, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 5, as an imitator of Christ or an imitator of the world. Are we going to mirror Christ are we going to mirror the world? And, and I don't think that there's one or the other. I don't think that like I can, I can, I don't think I can ride the line. And I think it's either I'm imitating Christ or I'm imitating the world. I don't think we can like kind of ride the line. I think so oftentimes like I find myself in this like, well, these things aren't all that bad, right? Like they're not bad, and so it's okay that I do these things and that sort of idea. But in the same manner, when I say yes to something here, I'm saying no to something in my walk with God. When I say yes to something that maybe isn't in itself bad, but it becomes an idol in my life, I'm saying no to something that, something that God is directing me or the way that he is teaching me or something that he is speaking to me in the same hand. And I'm not, and I, so I don't think that we can ride the line between an imitator of God and an imitator of the world, and I'm just an imitator of both. Like, we can't do that. We're either one or we're the other. We're either an imitator of God or an imitator of the world. We can't have one. My dad used to say it like this, and maybe if you grew up in church, you, or you've been in church for a while, you've heard this. You have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. That's what my dad always used to say, something like that. And you guys had dads who said that, right? Or somebody else you know. And I know, I guess I never really thought about that much because I thought, well, I'm in the church, that sort of idea. But it's so easy for that one foot to get on the other side. And then before you know it, you can't ride it, or you can't ride it. It's either you're in the world or you're in the church. You're an imitator of one or the other. And we battle this every day. And Paul talks about it in Galatians. He says in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, he says, So I walk by the Spirit. So, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not to do whatever you want. So you're not to do whatever you want. 
And, and that's what self says. Self says, do whatever you want. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, my flesh says that. You do whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. Flesh says, set your sights on the important needs of life. Spirit says, set your sights on God who supplies your needs. Flesh says, just a little bit more and I'll be happy. Spirit says, you'll never be content when you're searching for more. Flesh says, your life is in your hands. Spirit says, your life is in his hands. Flesh says, you only live once. Make your life happy. Do whatever you want. Spirit says, you only live once. Live a life pleasing to God. Flesh says, follow your heart. Spirit says, follow God's heart. Church, I believe that it's time for us as believers to repent and turn from the sin that we so easily fall into. The the writer in Hebrews talks about the sin that so easily entangles, the sin that hinders and so easily entangles is what he says. It's time to refuse. It's time to respond. It's time to repent. And number four this morning, it's time to remain. It's time to remain. So what is encouraging about the church in Thyatira is not everybody in the church had fallen guilty or fallen into the sin of tolerance or idolatry. There were those, as we read here, that that remained faithful. We can read this right here in verse 24. It says, Now I say to you, the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on to what you have. Hold on to your faith. Remain faithful. You have not given in. You've stood up against Continue to remain. This is I, I, I believe this, this idea of remaining. In John, it says in John fifteen five, it says, "I am the vine; you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing." And then we have the statement that comes right after this, and the statement, the, the overcome statement, like we see in every one of these letters. It says, "To the one who is victorious, or to the one who overcomes, and does my will to the end, it's those who remain." Those who remain are those who overcome. Those who overcome and does my will to the end, I will give authority over nations. That one will rule with an iron scepter, and I will dash them like pieces of pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says. And and this here is a picture, is an imagery of the promise that we have as children of God. The inherit that we are heirs to the throne, right? We're heirs to the throne. We're heirs to, as, as, king, as children of God, we're heirs to the throne of God. And this is what it's referring to. It's referring to the inheritance in his kingdom as believers. That when Jesus comes back and he, he sets up his rule and his reign here on earth, then we will get to rule with him is what it's saying here. The kingdom of believers. He also says that those who overcome will be given the morning star. Who's the morning star? The morning star is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the morning star, the bright and morning star. And so when I look at this passage of Scripture, I say, how would this look like if it were spoken to our language today? And I think I would put it something like this. To those who overcome, what you have already been given as a child of God, of the child of the King, Jesus inside of you is greater than anything that this world would have to offer. To those who overcome, they are the ones who remain faithful. They are the ones who remain. Church, it's time to remain. It's time for believers to hold fast to the truth of his word. It's time for believers to remain faithful until the end. I'm going to ask our worship team to come this morning. And I kind of want to boil this down. And this morning, if you didn't, you know, you didn't grasp anything that I said thus far, that's okay. Um, I get it. It's a lot, it's a lot of information and, and that sort of idea. But it boils down to this. Do, does our lives look different as believers? As a believer, does your life look different? And so I kind of want to give us some keys to each one of these topics. So we said, it's time to refuse. It's time to, uh, it's time to respond. It's time to repent. And it's time to remain. What are some keys to refuse? I think number one, a key to refuse is to know God's word. To know God's word. And in that, if we know God's word, we're able to, we're able to, we're able to refuse any tactic that is meant to derail us from our faith. If we know God's word, we will be able to refuse any tactic to derail us from faith. You know, Psalm one nineteen eleven: I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Do you know God's word? Do you know God's word? So whenever the the world or the culture is speaking something contrary 
to what the word of God says? Do you know his word to be able to stand up to refuse what is being said? Number two is, goes right along with that. Use God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Use God's word. Don't just know it, but use it. Apply it. Sometimes I open God's word, guys, and I look at this scripture, right, and it says God's word is useful for teaching. I, I like learning, so I'm a, I'm a student. I like I like to learn, so I'm good with that one. How about rebuking? That's a, that's a little tough. How about when I open God's word and it corrects me? I'm just going to close the book right now, right? Let's find a different passage because that one doesn't feel good, right? And training in righteousness, training to live like Christ. Number three, not just know God's word, not just use God's word, but follow God's word. When we receive the correction from his word, do we follow what he's saying then? It's one thing to be slapped on the hand and told no. It's another thing to turn and say, hey, I'm not gonna do that anymore, right? And that's what this is, that's what I'm saying here. Do we follow God's word? Psalms 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Keys to refuse. Know God's word, use God's word, follow God's word. If you don't write anything down this morning that I've said so far, write these few application things down. Number two, keys to respond. I think a key to respond is do not remain silent in sin, on sin. Do not remain silent on sin. I think oftentimes we open up the New Testament and we read the Gospels and that sort of idea, but but we forget that there are 23 other books in the New Testament alone that talk about how we should handle sin and how we should live in this world once you're a believer. We have access to a relationship with God because of Jesus. And sin is what distracts us. When we respond to sin, we respond to sin first in our own heart, in our own lives. How do you, do you respond to sin? We have to keep the message of the gospel center of what we do. But because of Jesus, because of what he did, we no longer have to live in a world of distractions. We don't have to give in to sin. Respond to sin. Don't remain silent on sin. Respond. Number two, practice accountability. And I know for, for some in this room, th- this is a hard one. And it's a hard one for me. Like to practice accountability is tough because who likes for people to say, hey, I think you might be screwing up here a little bit. Like, nobody likes that. But when it's done in love, when it's done in a community, when it's done with people you're doing life with, it, sh- it was practiced by the first century church. It was practiced. And how can we do that? I love what Matthew 7, 3 says. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time you have a plank sticking out of your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The script, what the scripture is saying is, is that two things happen. You get right with God, and once you're right with God, you're in a good place to help somebody else respond to the sin that is in their lives. Practice accountability. Be involved in the community. Practice accountability. Keys to repent. Keys to repent. Experience a changed heart. I think for far too long, the church has been okay with people saying, I prayed this prayer, now I'm good. And it's more than that. In Romans 10, 10, it says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It's with your heart that you believe and are justified. First John 1, 19 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. It's a heart change. It's a changed heart. Experience a changed heart. 
Number two is separate yourself. How can I repent? Well, repent isn't just saying, hey, I'm sorry, I'm confessing my sins, my heart's changed, and still continuing to do the same thing that we always used to do, right? Separate yourself, turn. Repent means to turn away. It's literally what the Greek language, like what the word there is, it means to turn, to turn away. Turn away from it. In 1 John 2, 15 and 17, it says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires passes away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Remember what it said in Revelation about those who overcome are those who do my will to the end. Separate yourself. Maybe... Another way to say this is a separate, maybe another thing, another, another idea would be to separate yourself from self. Separate yourself from self. I know that probably doesn't make any sense grammatically for us English teachers in the room, but separate yourself from self. Galatians talks about all the different things that are the, the, the acts of the flesh. And one of the things they, he meant, that Paul mentions is a selfish ambition. Self. Self rises up inside of us. The pride of life is self. Separate yourself. And lastly, keys to remain. Take time. Number one, take time. Take time in God's word and in communication with him. And and it's not just enough to be in his word and, and reading his word, but communicate with him. Talk and listen. Spend time with him. John 15, 7 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That sounds like a genie in a bottle kind of idea, but that's not what it's talking about here. What it's saying is is that when you spend time with somebody, when I spend time with people and and I love them and I get to know them, guess what happens? Their desires become my desires. What they want, I want to see that happen in their lives. And I want to see that happen for them. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that when you remain in me, my desires become your desires. My wants become your wants. Take time remain in him. And number two is produce fruit. The next thing we see in John 15 is that I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Produce fruit. You might say, what is the fruit? Well, Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It's what Jesus is talking about here. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Produce fruit. Are you producing fruit? If not, Maybe you need to spend some time with him. Maybe you need to practice remaining in him. So my question this morning is, where are you? What do you need to do? What step do you need to take? What time is it for you? Is it time for you to refuse? Is it time for you to respond? Is it time for you to repent? Or is it time for you to remain? Would you bow your heads and and close your eyes with me this morning? And this morning, I'm going to do something a little bit different than what we normally do here at Bridge. I I don't normally, we don't normally practice a a response time per se. And I'm not going to call anybody out this morning. I want you to think, "Uh uh-oh, my guard just went up. Pastor Rob said we're doing something different. I don't like change. And that's okay. Put your guard down. Just just, just walk with me this morning, okay? So everybody bow your head and close your eyes. I just want to ask you a few questions. I want to see a health check. Do a survey, maybe, of Bridge. How are we? What is the health check of Bridge? And so this morning, I'm going to ask you if you would just slip your hand up. Number one is, is it helps me with the survey. And number two is, is that it helps me to know how to pray for our church. So, is it time for you to refuse? Are there things in your life that you've been tempted to give into? Is it time for you to refuse what the culture and world is throwing at you? Raise your hand if that is you. You say, hey, I feel like it's a time for me to refuse. I need to, I need to, I need to refuse some things that are being thrown my way. Thank you. But number two, is it time for you to respond? Is it time for you to respond, number one, to sin in your own life first? 
and or respond to the sin that you see in the life of those of the people you do life with. Is that you? Have you remained silent on sin? Raise your hand if you're saying, hey, I need to respond a little bit. I need to have some conversations maybe. Thank you. Thank you. Number three, is it time for you to repent? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? How is that relationship? Is there some sin maybe that has creeped in that is distracting you this morning? If you need to if you need to repent, would you, would you raise your hand this morning and say, hey, that's me? That's good. Thank you. Thank you. And the last one, do you feel like it's time for you to remain? How are you doing in your time with him? How are you doing at spending time and getting to know who he is so his desires become your desires and his wants become your wants? Do you feel like it's time for you to remain this morning? If that's you, would you raise your hand this morning? Thank you, church. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray. and I'm going to ask our, our prayer team to come, but not to come up to the front. I'm going to ask them just to come and sit in the, the pews in front of in the front row here, the front, the front row of chairs. And this morning during this song, if you're like, hey, Pastor Rob, like I need to respond. It's time. It's time for me to refuse. It's time for me to respond. It's time for me to repent. It's time for me to remain. If if that's you and you're saying, hey, I need to do that this morning. There's people here who will pray with you, but the altars are open. You can come. You can come and spend time in in his presence this morning. And and we're not, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push you, push you out of here this morning. We, you can come and you can come and pray. We're going to sing a song together and then I'll come back and close it in a prayer in a little bit. God, would you allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us? God, during this song, God, would you open our eyes to the things that we need to do in our lives, that it's when it's time for us to take a step, to do an action. And God, would you allow us to do that, to take that step, be bold, to do that action you've called us to. And it's your name I pray. Amen.